Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. All right, we're back. Welcome in to, I guess, sort of the first official episode now that we've decided on a title to The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me, as always, Colin Taylor. And a new location today, too. I feel like there's some reverb in this room more than there normally is. So sorry if it sounds different, but we are in the podcast studios of 107.5 The Game, surrounded by a bunch of cool posters and some various Gamecock memorabilia. I'm looking at a picture of Sundarius Thornwell, the year, I guess that was his senior year. They're wearing the cool, like, I don't know what this oh, trunk's camo. are. But yeah, yeah, you see yeah. Carl Anthony Towns back in the picture, and Sundarius is about to drain a runner or a floater. I don't know. He was the king of the mid-range when he was here. He was. He, he was, was great. Yeah, we. I was talking with my roommate. He was a big Syracuse fan, so it was all zone, zone, zone. And he said the only person that really can break it is a guy like Sundarius who can actually turn around and hit that mid-range. And, and Carolina could use a guy like that right now. Yes. We've been away for a while. The last time we spoke, the last podcast that we did was called Marquee Win because South Carolina <laughs> had just notched one heck of a marquee win, maybe the greatest win in – at least Frank Martin's tenure here when we talk about regular seasons against Virginia up in Charlottesville, number nine in the country. And you and I joked late in that podcast, I said the only way that Carolina can screw this up is if they go and lose to a team like Stetson. But more likely than not, they're going to take a three-game winning streak into SEC play, and they're going to have some momentum. They're going to have that marquee win. They will have more than made up for the Boston loss. And then they lost to Stetson, 63-56 to this past Monday. Sorry we haven't done a podcast since then. We've been celebrating Christmas and New Year. Yeah. Which, by the way, did you have a good Christmas and New Year? Yeah, I did. Yeah, Got okay. to spend it with fiancé and family and all good. that fun stuff. Good. So, yeah. Very good. So, Carolina basketball was a little more eventful over that stretch than we anticipated. Yes. This is a little bit late, but better late than never. Carolina lost to Stetson. Colin, what the heck? That wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, and I don't think – I mean, there was a point – there really wasn't a point up until maybe the final two minutes of the game where I was like, this is actually going to happen because South Carolina had been playing so well, even if they lost to Houston. They played in a vacuum pretty decently in that game. Uh, they got good shots. They just didn't shoot the ball well. Um, and then, of course, Clemson and Virginia. You didn't expect this. You kind of figured that they would start slow being off for whatever it was, six, seven days, eight days, um, and then just kind of turn it on about midway through the second half, and that just never happened. Um, they looked – about as not lazy. Lazy is really not the right word, but lethargic. Yeah, um, there wasn't a lot of energy. Yeah, it took them six and a half minutes to get a defensive rebound. Yeah, like I mean, it's it's amazing that I mean they just weren't boxing out. They weren't. I mean, they were settling for just awful three pointers instead of trying to get the ball in the paint. They didn't attack the the defense. I mean, they were playing zone. And they didn't attack it the right way for South Carolina, and it 
you you got almost zero out of the two guys that really put the team on their back against Virginia and Jair Bolden and AJ Lawson and when those two guys aren't playing and then when they are playing they aren't playing as well as they need to then I mean you, for lack of a better word you're screwed because yeah. I mean you're relying then on Trey Hannibal and TJ Moss and all of these young guys and it, it's just it that's not a formula for success for South Carolina there are a lot of things that went wrong and we're yes. going to go through sort of all the specifics of, of what happened. And a lot of things have to go wrong when you have a loss that's this bad, a loss that you have estimated is the worst regular season loss under Frank Martin. This is a team that was ranked number 321 One, yeah. by Ken Palm going into the game, and that's out of 353 teams. Yes. So a, a truly horrible Stetson team. A game that, even though South Carolina did all these things poorly, they missed half of their free throws. They didn't shoot well from three. Jair Bolden did almost nothing. A.J. Lawson played whatever it was, six minutes in the second half. It was just an all-around abysmal performance. You know, poor rebounding, especially in the first half. Not doing a good job of generating good shots, much less making the ones that you did generate. And yet, this was still a very winnable game, as it should be, because Carolina is a significantly more talented team than Stetson. So I don't know if my primary takeaway should be well, actually, Carolina isn't yet at the point where they can win these kinds of games because clearly they didn't, and they lost it by seven. But to your point, it was up until the last couple minutes of the game that it was like, oh, shoot, because Carolina made a run there. It was, it was, it they was, were down what? to, like, two points. with like Yeah, I mean, it was 51-40, to 40, and they went on a little 9-0 run, cut it to 51-49. You're like, okay, like this is a little closer than it should have been, but ultimately you get the win. You don't feel great about it, but it, all that matters is you get that W. You're 9-4. You exactly, 9-4 and four going into SEC play, 11-7. and seven especially with the Virginia win, especially if you get one more good win in the SEC, is more than enough to, to make a solid case for being an at-large team. And then it just didn't happen. It was sort of the opposite of the Virginia game where it gets tight. And in that game, Carolina excelled, and they were able to pull away from Virginia. In this case, they got the game got tight, and then they got tight and obviously weren't able to finish the comeback. Yeah, and it, it doesn't help when for the last 7 minutes and 15 seconds, your best player, arguably, A.J. Lawson, is on the bench. And he was so clutch late against Virginia because he's so good at being able to get to the rim. He's, he's your best free throw shooter. And when you miss 12 of your 24 attempts, it's usually not going to go well for you. Um, so not having the guys that have been there before on the court consistently hurts you. And Mike Coates are battled through foul trouble. And you had a lot of guys wilt down the stretch and get quiet and kind of go into a shell instead of someone trying – outside of A.J. Lawson – and to a degree, Mike Coates are. There's not a lot of guys on this team right now that can just flip a switch and take over a game. Um, Jair Bolden showed flashes of that, but right now you just don't have that guy. And when A.J. Lawson's on the bench, it's really hard to win games because of that. So to me, that's the biggest story coming out of this game and the most complicated thing to examine. And I, I talked about this a little bit on my local show on 107.5 yesterday. It's so hard because so much of what we do in sports is litigate based on results. And if South Carolina had won this game with A.J. Lawson sitting on the bench, you would have said, wow, what a great coaching decision by Frank Martin. He went with a hot hand. He kept Cousinard and Hannibal in there, and they propelled this team to victory. But because South Carolina lost, it's a bad decision. But what I like to try to do as much as possible, and it's very difficult, some would say impossible, is like just based on the process, not based on the results, what is the right decision? I am someone, and I have a feeling you're going to agree with me, that just says, I don't care how badly he's played. I don't care. He's had, he had some sloppy turnovers. You know, you can say his defense wasn't up to snuff, whatever. He is your best offensive player, as you're saying, the one guy that you can consistently rely upon to, when you need it, create his own shot, make his own shot. I feel like he just has to be in the game down the stretch. Yeah, and I mean, he's a 
projected first round pick in the NBA draft. He's a guy that is going to get NBA buzz after this season, regardless of how he does right now, just based off his I mean, length, his ability, I mean all of it. And you want that guy out there on the court. That's like Georgia not having Anthony Edwards in the game down the down the stretch of a close game, regardless of how he played. And um it's not my team. It's not my decision to make. It's Frank Martin's decision to make. He gets paid a lot of money to do it. But if I was the coach, I mean, you want the guy that, and Lawson's been the guy for, I mean, the better part of two years now. Um, and you're going to want that on the court just because, I mean, they're playing you in zone. And to beat a zone, you either got to shoot out of it, which South Carolina was not going to do, or you have to drive to the rim, get fouled, or make buckets doing that to get them out of it. And Lawson was the only player on that team Monday to hit multiple three-pointers. He, weirdly enough, led the team in scoring uh, in the second half and was the fourth highest plus-minus. So even if the eye test, you you look at it and say, okay, he's not playing well, statistically, he's one of their better guys on the team, and y- you have to play your guys when you're doing that. And like I said, I'm not Frank Martin, but... If it's me, I'm putting A.J. Lawson out there for the better part of that. And it's such a Frank Martin thing to do. I had actually forgotten this detail until somebody mentioned it on on the show yesterday that it was the Stony Brook loss. You know, they lose by two, and Chris Silva sits like the last eight minutes of that game, right? Yeah. Eight of the last ten or something like that. And that's that's so frustrating. And, and I think you and I both probably do this a healthy amount. It's not like, oh, you know, like what a terrible decision because I think we both acknowledge that if we could be Final Four coaches, we would be Final yeah. Four coaches. But I think it's also fair to, to ask some of those questions. And some of the things that, that bother me about Frank Martin, we've talked about it on this podcast, is how, how uh, I guess, short a leash he has with some guys. As when we were talking about Trey Hannibal wondering where the heck he was, I just wanted to see Frank Martin give him a chance to you know go out there and make mistakes and work through those mistakes. And I, I think he's let him do that a little bit more in the last couple of weeks. And Carolina's really reap the benefits of it and when it works you know like when he gives Trey Hannibal a little bit longer leash or even to go back to the Stetson game Carolina didn't score in the first three minutes he pulls uh was it Bryant Lawson and Bolden Bolden, like way quicker than he normally does within three minutes he puts in Hannibal Moss and Frank and the first thing that happens is Hannibal gets a steal passes it up to Moss Moss assists to Hannibal Carolina gets their first bucket they force a turnover there's life there's energy back in the game and so when he does that and it works it's like oh that's great but then the second half was the exact opposite like I said you know he benches Lawson and it doesn't work so maybe it's easier to criticize and it's even I think further complicated by the fact that when Carolina did cut into Stetson's lead that that 9-0 run I guess it was to get it from 40, 51 to 40 to 51 to 49 I think that was it it was Kuznard Hannibal who were both playing better than Lawson at that point. Yeah. You have Manaya at the three, and then you had uh, Kotsar at the five, and then Levesque played some of those minutes, and Frank played some of those minutes. Yeah, and it's like Kotsar was dealing with foul trouble. Right. So, But it's like, you're you're going on a run here. These guys are playing well. They're probably better than AJ. So, you know, who whom are you taking out to put AJ back in there? Because right. Kuznar was playing well, and he's a good free-throw shooter. And Hannibal, I think, I don't know, was did Hannibal have the best game of any Carolina player on Monday? Probably him and Wilden's actually played yeah. really well. Um, yeah, and it's weird. I mean, you can make the argument to take Levesque out since he's a freshman in that moment and put Lawson back in, shift Bryant to the four, whatever you want to do. But um, it's weird. Like, And Lawson turns the ball over far too much. I think he'll be the first one to tell you that from this season. Um, yeah, it's weird. And I think going back to Trey, I mean, he gives you that spark and – I'm always a big guy, and this kind of clashes with Frank's system of doing things, but to kind of give guys longer leashes. And 
Um, you see it a lot in basketball to a degree, but baseball, if in a sample size sport, which basketball and baseball are, you it, it, you need more reps. And when you're not getting those and you're only getting a certain select, you're usually tense when you do it. Look at Justin Rowe, his junior year at baseball, when you're only getting an at-bat once every, you know, five at-bats every two weeks, you're probably going to be tense for that. So players, when they, they go into games and they know the first mistake they make or the first bad screen they set, they're getting pulled, it, it usually tenses you up a little bit. Um, the Gamecocks, you know, South Carolina has some depth, so it doesn't hurt as much, but you want to have your players feel like they're trusted by their coach. I'm f- trying to find nice ways to say this. No, but yeah, I mean, I think I think yeah. a lot of guys, especially young players, are probably intimidated by Frank Martin. And, and yeah. there's some extent that you know what you're getting into because his reputation precedes him, and I don't think he's like sugarcoating anything about his coaching style or his program or the way he practices yeah. or the way he plays on the recruiting trail, but I think it's different once you get in there. And yeah. I, I think I think it takes a certain kind of guy like Trey Hannibal, who's you know shown a lot of you know resilience, yeah. um, you know the ability to, to work through those mistakes while being berated by Frank on the sideline. And it, I mean, that's why we see a lot of a lot of roster turnover to be to be frank about it and uh, no pun intended (laughs) but uh, so it does take a certain kind of guy and and then when they can excel you know you see guys like Chris Silva and Sundarius Thorma when you get when you can withstand that kind of tutelage tough love whatever he's an excellent developer he really knows what he's doing Um, but you wonder how it does affect some of those guys like Wilden Zavek who by was it game three or game four was in the starting lineup he started for six or seven games and then he's been relegated to just kind of garbage time minutes and when he gets in there he does well but it's like he can't when frank said after the game that this team does not respond to adversity well i'm not like calling uh levesque out but it's like it's hard for some of those guys to to both get in there and to have an impact to be able to withstand like adverse conditions within the game and then also kind of what you're getting from the sidelines so i think that can be hard sometimes and may ultimately be why south carolina I, i think we've seen south carolina be a good tournament team because you're used to, you know, facing that, that kind of, he, he creates those adverse conditions um, throughout the course of the year. So they're less adverse when you're actually on the court. But I, I think you saw it, you know, maybe have an impact on Carolina late in the game because they, they didn't really seem to have the energy. They didn't really seem to have the confidence. Um, and I don't know if that's, if that's on Frank, if that needs to be from the players, you know, like individually, if it needs to be from one guy kind of calling them up and calling them together. But it was just, it was, it was really disappointing and really noticeable and a very stark contrast to the team that we saw that was very confident, that was very exuberant, that was very energetic just eight days earlier in Charlottesville. Yeah, and I think that step one is a leader. And, and Frank Martin called his team front runners. He said that was a bad term. But, it, I mean, that's kind of what they are. I mean, when they're in the lead, they play about as well as anybody in the SEC. Um, they force turnovers. They kind of build some confidence about it. But when they don't, that's when the lack of leadership from a player standpoint shows. And they're going to need a guy like Mike Coates are who, I mean, Frank said, and I kind of agree with him, he's just too nice to be the kind of guy that, you know, for lack of a better word, gets in your ass and, you know, <laughs> goes out there and lights a fire under you. But they need a guy like an A.J. Lawson, a Keyshawn Bryant, a Jermaine Cousinard, um, or, you know, Justin Minaya a little bit to start becoming that vocal guy and, you know, knowing Justin the little bit that I know him from press conferences and dealing with him. That personality is there, but it's not to the forefront that maybe a Jermaine or a Keyshawn is. And one of those four are going to have to step up because this team is in desperate need of somebody to call people on their bad habits and get them playing well. Because, I mean, 
for the grief that people have given Frank. I mean, he can't do everything. He can't coach the team, help create the game plan, run practice, do all that, and lead this team. He needs some of the ownership to come from the players. And right now you're not getting as much of that as you did in 16 or 17 or with Chris Silva the last two years. And it's tough now because, I mean, that's why you have 13 non-conference games to start the season to work this out before you get into conference play. So they've, they've sort of run out of time, and I, I think that's a big factor. You know, it, it's not just that they lost to Stetson. It's the the fashion in which they lost to Stetson that has Carolina fans, I think, so pessimistic headed into SEC play. And I, it's it's not a foregone conclusion. You know, this team, these teams, Frank Martin teams, do get better. And I, I'm going to ask you a, a weird question, but one that I, I think might I think might be a fair question, and, and just a little bit, just in terms of what the expectations should be headed into SEC play. But you are still eight and five, and it's I think this is correct for people to feel this way. But it's funny how differently people feel now with Carolina being eight and five with a win over Virginia and a loss to Stetson than if it were reversed. Right. If Carolina had gone to Charlottesville, lost by twelve, and then beaten Stetson by nineteen, I think people would be like, okay, like eleven and seven's close. You probably need to go twelve and six. But, like, there's still some good things here. You beat Clemson. Like, you know, if the Virginia loss were respectable, it's like, yeah, there, there's some improvement here. Um, but now it's, like, doom and gloom. Even though you did you did flash that you can compete with one of the best teams in the country on their court. And, I, I'm again, I'm surprised a little bit, but I also think it's correct for people to be a little bit more cautious, even though we have seen this team flash such a huge upside. Yeah, and I think that if you had told people – at the beginning of the season, South Carolina going into conference play was going to be 8-5 and five with a win over Clemson, they would have taken it. Um, but the fact that you've played so well for a month and then lost arguably the worst non-conference loss of Frank Martin's tenure um, doesn't bode well. And, and there's there's a reason to be pessimistic. I'm not one of those people. I think that it's not always as bad as it seems. It's not always as good as it seems. But you, there's a lot of work to do now to get this resume back to tournament level. And you made up for your Boston loss with your Virginia win, so, but now you have another bad loss on your schedule. Even worse than the Boston loss. Yeah, right? by, far, yeah by far the worst. I mean, to have two quality wins, three to a degree with two road, three road wins, all of them against a UMass team that's pretty okay, that's a quad two win, Clemson's a quad two win, and Virginia's a quad one win, then you lose a two quad four went like to two quad four teams. Like that's not like you're going to need so much work to do in, in you're going to have to go at least 11 and seven right at floor to even make the tournament or even be in the conversation to make the tournament. So, you know, the math of this and the history better than I do. I'm putting you on the spot. So sorry if you don't have like a good answer, but I feel like most tournament teams have zero quad four losses. Like I, I wonder what the percentage of teams that have a quad four loss or multiple quad four losses. Cause that's what Carolina's looking at right now. What the percentage of those teams that actually make the tournament, uh, I guess what the percentage is. Uh, Cause I can't imagine it's very high. Cause I, the, I mean, that's, right. the, the math is such a big part of it. And again, even though you do get the quad, they have what one quad one win and two quad one losses. Yeah. And they're five and two yeah. against quad four teams that just like, that's, I, I feel like there are probably not that many teams in the past couple years, in the past five years, ten years, that have made the tournament with two quad four losses. But it also doesn't feel like that's completely ridiculous for this Carolina team. You mentioned 11-7 and to get into the conversation, 12-6, and and you probably have a fairly strong case still. Right. And, I mean, I did the math before the season 
on just win totals it's going to take. So the average number of wins by an at-large team last year was 23.9. So 24 wins is your average win-loss of an at-large team. Um, eight teams received an at-large nod with 20 or fewer wins. So there's a chance that you need that you can get to 19, 20 wins. Um, I don't know the losses of those eight teams, but when you have two losses, um, and Stetson may be the worst loss of a, a high major team yeah, this if, year. Yeah, if Carolina were to make the tournament, that would probably be the worst loss of any team that made the tournament. Yeah, and so now you have to go out there and you have to beat not one, but maybe two or three quad one teams in terms of this weird net ranking that not everyone likes and I probably hate. But now you have to go out and beat those teams, and you have to do it handily, and you have to get to now 19 to 20 wins gets you in the conversation. But to really feel good about your chances, you got to get to 21, maybe 22 wins just because this Stetson loss is kind of an anchor on your on your resume because it, it just keeps dragging it down, and it's going to affect your efficiency numbers. It's going to affect your net ranking all year. Um, and there there's a lot of work to be done now. Um, you're going to have to beat some top 25 teams at home, on the road, wherever, just to feel good about your chances to, to get in. Now, the way the SEC schedule shakes out, and we can talk about this a little more specifically as we are obviously on the precipice of SEC play, the first part of the schedule is tough, but I think when you look at the entirety of it, it is somewhat favorable for South Carolina in terms of the teams that they get to play twice, you know, some winnable games in there, and you're mixing in. Obviously, there are a lot of good teams in the SEC, so you will have, you know, a few more chances. You'll have plenty more chances to get some of those marquee wins. Uh, for them to do it, as we sort of wrap up the Stetson game, A.J. Lawson has to play more than 13 minutes. Yes. He has to score more than eight points. He's got to clean up some of those turnovers, and I know, like, all those things aren't going to happen. Like, the, the turnovers, that might be part of his game, and you just kind of have to live with that. And it's it's one of the frustrating parts, and, and also occasionally great parts, because Lawson will sometimes grab a rebound and then throw a, you know, 85-foot outlet pass right on the money, and it's like, wow, that's a great bucket, great play by a great player, and then he'll do that two more times in the game, and one of them goes straight out of bounds, and one of them gets picked off, and it's just like the maddening, yeah. just frustrating part of having a you know a creative He's player. He's boom or bust, and, and that's what you get when you have guys that are 19 years old playing college basketball. Right. right so, I mean, that's the first part. The other things that went wrong in the Stetson game, as we mentioned, that like Carolina even still could have overcome them, um, you know, with A.J. Lawson not playing well. Uh, Bolden can't be over, especially when yeah. he scored 22. It was weird. He, like, airballed a three to start yeah. the game. And yeah. that's when you knew it was just like, oop, yep. well, that, that yeah, didn't look good. good. Yeah, he, he did not uh, carry over that that feeling from the Virginia game. Yeah. when it, Was it 22 or 24 or whatever he scored in that game? Yeah. But, so that can't happen. Carolina, four of 19 from three. This is not going to be a good shooting team from no. any from any part of the floor. And they didn't shoot badly from two. What was it, 47% or something from inside the arc? So, yeah, I mean, it, it, like a fine number, but... Four of 19, you need just like what? I mean, three more of those, you go seven of 19, which is still, I mean, it's like fine, not great. I don't know what the percentage yeah. is because I'm not good at math, but you shoot seven of 19, you win this basketball game. Yeah, I mean, you make half of your, you make half of your free throw misses and it's a one-point game. I mean, it is what it, you know, make your free and throws. And you missed it. The, the free 12. throw, 12 free throws, 12 yeah. of 24. And, and then Jermaine the other Kusner, like airballed one. Yeah, he like airballed a, like short arm to free throw. Well, and right as the because uh, I was watching it on TV, right as the TV announcer was like Jermaine Kusinar by percentage is Carolina's best free throw shooter. Airball. Yeah, no, and <laughs> it's it's. it's I mean, I think they were a combined sixteen of forty three from the line. Uh, I did the math today. They're like two combined from the free throw line and three point. They are 
225 of 496 this season. Jeez. I mean, leaving so many points out there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the other weird part of the free throw shooting equation, because this number caught my eye, it didn't even feel like it at the time, and obviously at the end, Carolina's fouling to you know just yeah. get extra possessions. But Stetson shot 36 free throws. And on only 27 fouls by Carolina, which is which is kind of weird. That just means yeah. they're probably fouling at bad times, just dumb fouls and things like that, giving them free throws. But not only – I mean, that's the first thing that jumps out. It's like make, you know, 19 of your 24 free throws, which is like a good but not staggering number. Yeah. Like that's an acceptable normal rate at which to make free throws. But also, like don't give up 36 free throw attempts. And if they make – six fewer, seven fewer than you're talking about. Overtime, like, that's the difference in this yeah. game. It still should have been winnable. A couple weeks ago, when, but I guess before Carolina righted the ship, I think it was maybe even before they beat UMass, and certainly before they beat Clemson, obviously before they beat Virginia, I asked you what the number one thing Carolina had to fix to kind of reach its potential was, and you said they need to clean up the defense. And defensively, I mean, they've been pretty good. Stetson scored 63, which is, you know, not great. I don't know what their average is, but again, a lot of that was free throws sort of at the end of the right. game. I think it was basically like 50 or 55 or something mm. throughout the like actual flow of the game before Carolina started slowing it down with fouls. So it feels like the defense has gotten better. We know Frank Martin teams do that. You look at the other glaring things on this team, three-point percentage, I don't know if that just magically gets better. You know, some nights you shoot well, some At this you point, don't. you are what you are. Yeah. I feel like it's the same thing with free-throw shooting percentage. So where now does Carolina look to improve itself on the margins so that they don't lose to Stetson again? <laughs> you have to execute better in your half-court. Um this team's shown when it can get out and run in transition, it can compete with a lot of different people. They did that against Virginia. Uh, but when a team like Houston comes in or Stetson comes in and doesn't allow you to get out and transition as much as you want, I think they had 10 fast break points against Stetson. Um, something similar probably against Houston as well. When you're not able to really get out and flow and transition like you want to and play to your strengths with a Keyshawn Bryant, a... Trey Hannibal and A.J. Lawson, those guys, they need to execute better, and they're not doing that right now. They're settling for some bad shots. Um, the ball's not touching the paint as much as it needs to, and it's showing, and their points per possession are bad. Um, their offensive efficiency numbers are not great, uh, and that's something that's you know worrisome. If, if they can't execute in the half court, then teams are going to start game planning for that, and putting guys back there to make sure they can't run in transition. And if they start doing that and South Carolina can't improve on their half-court offense, then, you know, then there's going to be a lot more losses in SEC play than wins. Well, they've been rolling with the same starting lineup for a couple of games now. I think it's the same starting lineup that started against, I think Clemson was the first game, so three games now, Clemson, Virginia. And obviously you win both of those games. It's like, wow, this is a great starting lineup. Then you see what happens against Stetson. This may end up being more of a blip on the radar than anything, but if you're going to get another... 15-minute, 0 for 4 from the floor performance from Bolden, you know, do you maybe look at putting Kuznard in there? A guy that, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot now, watching the progression of Kuznard as a playmaker. You know, we, he flashed that playmaking ability, the feel for the game, uh, the vision early on, but as he seems to be getting more comfortable in Frank Martin's offense, he looks like someone that could actually be the point guard. I mean, you know, Bolden was running the point, and I always figured that A.J. Lawson would kind of end up being the you know, for all intents and purposes, point guard where the offense is running through him. But it seems like now there there is a road where I wonder if we'll see Kuznard, even if he's not starting, see him and Lawson share the floor a little bit more with Kuznard handling more of that primary playmaking responsibility, let Lawson be a little more off the ball, try to generate some more open shots for him, run him off screens and things like that just to get him involved, uh, get him in the game, because obviously he just was not engaged in this game 
on Monday for whatever reason, maybe because he was sick too. I heard yeah. that he had like a flu or fever or something like that. But point is, I, I wonder if we will start to see any sort of lineup changes as Carolina gets into SEC play because, yes, it's like that lineup had some high highs, but now, I mean, Hannibal's a, a you know a really solid contributor for three games now. He seems comfortable as a freshman. Does he start to take more of those minutes uh, from TJ Moss? Kuznard, how much more do we see his role grow? 23 minutes on Monday, but does he end up being in the starting lineup? And Levesque, who, as you mentioned, only played seven minutes in the second half and, and for the whole game on Monday. They were really productive seven Really minutes. good minutes. Every yeah. time he gets in, he seems to do well. And like I said, he was starting earlier in the year. Do you see him kind of get back into the rotation? Does he take some of those Frank minutes? Not that Frank's playing poorly, but you know, how does this start to shake up and how much of that is, is still kind of in flux and how much of that is changing. And again, like you hope to have those things worked out through the first 13 games of the season, but Carolina is still asking a lot of these questions. Yeah. And I think that to start with the asking a lot of those questions, is just inconsistency. Players are just so up and down that you're not, you don't know what you're getting at night in and night out from some of these guys. Um, I think you're going to start to see the rotation whittle down a little bit. Um, they've been playing, I mean, sometimes nine, 10 guys a game. I think you're going to start to see that kind of shrink down into the eight range, nine at times. Um, I wouldn't hate seeing Jermaine Kuznard in the starting lineup. I really like him in the starting lineup. Um, leads the team in assists per game. Leads the team in assist percentage per game. He's top 300 in the country in assist rate, which is really good yeah. um, when you consider how many players are in D1. And I don't know off the top of my head his assist-to-turnover ratio, but again, when you're talking about playmaking responsibility, A.J. Lawson, he can he can dish dimes, but he will have those turnovers. Four assists and no turnovers for Kuznard on Monday and that's the kind of efficiency that you need especially for a team that's struggling in the half court you don't want to give the other team easy transition opportunities when you're having trouble scoring in a slowdown kind of game yeah and I mean I really like Jermaine and the progression he's made um and I think you're going to start to see or Trey Hannibal take a lot more of those minutes and then it's just kind of figuring out what you're going to get from your other front court options because they've just been so up and down uh Alonzo Frings actually Offensively speaking, Alonzo Frank's played pretty darn well. Um, I think he's shooting over 65% from the floor. Um, I mean, he's he, offensively, he's not the problem. It's defensively where things kind of jumble up for him. But um, then it's just kind of figuring out what you're getting there. I like Manaya at the four right now. Um, Matchup-wise, you could change that up based on who you're playing, but I really like him there. And um, you're, You need more from Keyshawn Bryant. At this point, um, he hasn't been his same self compared to what he was last year. So yeah, none of the course of the whole game anyway. You see yeah. flashes of it. He almost had a huge putback awesome. on Monday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's got to be it's got to be more consistent. And you wonder, like he came back and played. What was it twenty three minutes? His first game back against Clemson. Or, or you, no, met, yeah, against you, he played great. Yeah, he played great, and he played a lot more minutes. And I was, I was expecting like eight to ten minutes. He yeah. played somewhere in the twenties, and then it's been sort of like up and down. So you wonder how much of that is still just like getting back into the rhythm of it. But yeah. he, I mean, he's going to have to be back to you know at least scoring double digits. He's probably going to have to be like a twelve and four, twelve and five kind of guy on a regular basis. I mean, that's just what Carolina needs at this point, especially if your other scoring options like if, if on one night you're going to get twenty two from Bolden and another night you're going to get zero. You need to know where at least another you know, dozen or so of those points are coming from. So that's, that's gotta be Bryant. Yeah. And, and at this point in the season, South Carolina just needs to score. The defense is going to get there. Um, I don't know for a fact, but just history tells me with Frank Martin team, the defense is going to get there by five, six games in SEC play. Now it just comes finding 65 to 70 points. And right now I can't tell you where that's going to come from. I know you're probably going to get eight to 12, eight to 14 from Coats are every night. 
Lawson probably going to give you eight to twenty, but that's still even standard deviation. Of that's huge. Yeah. Um. You know, Kustar's probably going to give you six to eleven, but after that, it's you know, Bolden has the potential to go off for twenty, but also goes over or whatever it is, and and Manaya has chances to go for eighteen and gives you four. So it's one of those where you need more consistency, and that's been the maddening part for this team is that they've shown flashes of being able to. You went on the road to UMass and scored eighty-four points. You know, you you scored seventy points against Virginia. Like you have the offensive firepower at times to do this, but now guys just have to put it all together and the pieces have to fit properly. And right now, it's just it it's doing it at times, but you've seen it about half the time where it's just not. It's a blessing and a curse when you have a lot of bodies, when you have a lot of at least theoretical depth, because I think I think if Carolina had like two fewer of these guys, like if they didn't have Trey Hannibal and they didn't have Alonzo Frank, then you're just kind of rolling with those lineups. You get a little more continuity. You allow them to work the kinks out, but it is easier. And I think it's, again, ultimately a good thing and represents the very high upside of this team that it's like, oh, Frank's not playing well. Here you go, Levette. Go play 15 minutes. Get us some rebounds. Give us some like energy defense. He's kind of like the, he's kind of like the bizarro Frank, you know. Yeah. He's just like defense, rebounding, and energy. And yeah. Frank's just like kind of a like I don't know more old school offensive guy that's got some work to do defensively. But it, it's just it, it it hasn't allowed Carolina to to really settle into a rotation. And I, I think you know especially even early in the season, like Keyshawn Bryant is obviously such a huge part of that. You're missing him for the early part of the season. Now he comes back. You get used to playing with him. But now it's like oh how do the other guys kind of factor into the rotation? Right. Guys that were used to contributing a little bit more. And again, like you, you need to have these things worked out by the time you enter SEC play and they haven't yet. Yeah. And that's the, that's the worrisome part for this is that your margin for error now is so small, given the fact that you have these two bad losses on your resume, good losses, you know, or not, you still have two quad four losses on your resume. You can't be sitting here figuring this stuff out. I mean, it'd be different if you opened up with bad, not bad, but, not as good SEC teams, but you got Florida, you got Tennessee, you got Kentucky, and those are your first three. That's Tennessee on the road. You got Auburn on the road, and as other fifth SEC game or fourth, I think. Yeah, I mean, you home for Florida at Tennessee, home for Kentucky at A and M, and then at Auburn, and then you come back and you play Vanderbilt, and then you play an Arkansas team on the road that's, you know, top what, eleven and one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're top. They just beat Indiana, so there's not a lot of room for error, and you need to kind of have your ducks in order early. Because you know you slip up and you start one and five, things aren't gonna. I mean, then you got to go ten and two down the stretch to even you know think about a tournament berth. Yeah, which is just not gonna happen. But no. I mean, that that's the grueling part of the schedule. And I guess as we transition into this, was there anything else you wanted to say on the Stetson game before we move on? No, I think we spent yeah. far too much time on the Stetson yeah. game. Oh God, it was it was just brutal. It was a boring and terrible game to watch. Yeah. But South Carolina. They turn the page. They're focused on Florida now. That's Tuesday. I don't know. Probably seven. Seven. Yeah. yeah. Tip time. Sometime in the evening at yes. the Colonial Life Arena. So you're starting at home, which is nice. Although Carolina maybe maybe fair to say they're a better road <laughs> yeah. team than a home team this year. Yeah. For... Which is which is kind of unusual. But when you look at the SEC schedule as a whole, you mentioned how tough it is right out the gate. But for those of you that don't know, you play 18 SEC games. There are 14 SEC teams, so you play five teams twice, and then you play the other eight teams once. And the teams that South Carolina gets to play twice, tough with Georgia. They're nine and three right now. They're seventy two in Kempom, and they have uh, the reason that's tough is because they have Anthony Edwards, who's yeah. going to be a he's going to be a lottery pick. I mean, he might be one one. Yeah. at this yeah. point, yeah. Uh, it, the, the, it's so this is a weird year of college basketball because 
I think like the, I don't know what the four guys outside of Edwards that are most likely to be the number one overall pick do not play in the NBA. It's like LaMelo ball and James Wiseman, who's now not playing college basketball and yeah. And RJ Hampton who's playing in Australia and or New Zealand and then somebody else it's it's like we don't even get to watch who's going to be good in the yeah, NBA yeah you have year. no idea you're going to be like weird clapping if, if your team picks a guy you've seen maybe YouTube highlights yeah that. yeah exactly it's kind of weird yeah. but anyway so Anthony Edwards is like I mean he's he's that's the guy you have to watch out for so that's yeah. tough uh, you have Mississippi State who's 53 right now in Kim Palm they're also 9-3 and three. but you get A&M they're 6-5 and five. they're 168 which is below Carolina you get Vanderbilt twice they're 8-4 and four. they're 130 um, and then Tennessee, they're uh, they're 44. They're eight and four right now. It's been kind of up and down for them. So, in terms of like picking the teams that you have to play twice, that's two teams that are beneath you, and then uh, uh, no other team that's better than fifth in the SEC right now. That's kind of what you want. You know, you don't yeah. want to play LSU twice. You don't want to play Kentucky twice. You don't want to play, you know, Florida twice or any of those other things. So that shakes out kind of favorably for Carolina. I think so, and I think that this schedule after you get past the first what six games, seven games, really kind of opens up for you. Um, the SEC in and of itself is wide open, and South Carolina's always always played Tennessee well. Um, they've always kind of had Georgia's number. I think they beat them twice last year. I may have beat them twice the year before that too. But you play them well. Uh, Vanderbilt's usually not that good. They're, I mean, they're not good this year. They're going through some coaching turnover. Um, yeah, Stackhouse, the yeah, Stackhouse yeah. experiment. Yeah, how that works, I have no idea. But you feel good. I mean, if you can split with Georgia. If you can split with Tennessee, who doesn't have Lamonte Turner, um, beat A&M twice, you know, beat Vanderbilt twice, you're looking at seven. Yeah, se- seven, seven and three. If you, seven yeah. So you go two A&M, two Vandy, split Tennessee, split Georgia, split Mississippi State, because all three of those teams are higher. You win than the home game and lose the yeah, game. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. That puts you at seven and three. So then you need to go four and four in your other eight SEC eight games, games which is feasible well yeah know? it's feasible because, I mean yeah. it's I mean because you you have uh, I mean well I guess like all the other ones but you look at the other ones that are going to be when like I think Ole Miss like that would be a winnable game but I think that one's on the road if I yeah. remember correctly I don't and have you catch right some favorable me. stuff up too where you get you get LSU at home mm-hmm. you get Kentucky at home you get Florida at home your toughest road trip is of the just the solo road trips where you don't get Auburn. home at home is Auburn yeah and then you go to Arkansas, which is always a weird place to play. And Arkansas, I think, is good. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm, try- I'm trying to remember. I looked earlier this morning, and I've forgotten now already who their one loss is. But I feel like it wasn't a. We was... lost to Western Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like a. It wasn't a great team that they lost to. Yeah, and they um, don't have any. I mean, they don't really don't have any great wins outside of Indiana. Um, I don't want to call it a soft eleven and one because it's eleven and one, but. Um, it's not like Gonzaga, who's played like fourteen top twenty-five teams to boost an RPI, um, but you have to go on the road there. You have to go on the road to Ole Miss, um, but I mean, you get the big, the big boppers in the SEC at home, which is nice. Yes, and as you pointed out, like there are—I I don't know what the projection is right now—but there are a lot of SEC teams that I think are projected to make the tournament. There's a lot of good SEC teams, but it seems like there's more variance. Like you said, a little yeah. more wide open. The frustrating part of eight and five has been the variance. Yes. If it were, you know, if you take away the Virginia loss and give them the Stetson win, if you take away the, uh, I, I don't know, even even the Clemson win and give them, you know, the, the Boston loss back, and it kind of goes chalk. I feel like people would feel a little bit better about this team because they would at least have a better idea of who, what their identity was and what to expect from them week in and week out. But it's all variance. But yeah. here's my here's my crazy theory that I teased earlier. If 
with a young team like Carolina that's up and down. There's a lot of variance. You beat Virginia literally the next week. You lose to Stetson. There isn't that much of a variance in terms of the quality of opponent for South Carolina. Like the worst team you're going to lose to this year in SEC play is either going to be Vanderbilt and Texas A&M. And you have to win both installations of that matchup. So I'm not saying that's a losable game for Carolina, but I'm saying in terms of the quality of opponent, the ceiling is dramatically raised. Yeah. It's and, not going to bring down a net. Or sorry, is... the, yeah, the, the floor is dramatically raised. The ceiling about stays the same. So if Carolina's going to turn in like really variable performances, I, I you probably feel okay about their chances because they can't. Ha- it's impossible now for them to have another loss as bad as Stetson, right. but it is possible for them to have a win, another win as good as Virginia. And so the odds are just kind of in your favor, right? Or am I thinking about this in a totally perverse way? And to a degree, I mean, I think. You still need to win the game. Right. At the end of the day, yeah. I mean, you still need, you know, six and ten or six yeah, and twelve. You need math but, yeah, point. you know, you need wins. Um, yeah, I think that there's not going to be any horrible losses. Yeah, I mean, there's the, just none the rest left. of the way. Yeah. Um, but you need to win the games you're supposed to win. Um, what that is right now, I don't know because 13 games in, I still don't have a clear picture of what this team is. Um, when the games you're kind of. I guess favored in these toss-up games, and you probably win ten, um, and then you win one you're not supposed to. Yeah. So and you feel good about where you are after the worst non-conference loss of Frank Martin's of ten. of ever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So it, to go back to our hypothetical earlier, you go seven and three in those ten games you have against. Against uh, whatever, home all the homes. teams you play yeah. twice, all your home and homes, and then three and five. Like that's not unrealistic. That's yeah. totally feasible, and that's not enough for Carolina. Yeah. To to make the tournament, it like I think we both agree, bare minimum to even be in the conversation is eleven and seven at this point. Yeah, bare minimum to even just be on Joe Lenardi, the the right side of Joe Lenardi on like selection Sunday, yeah. where it says like teams also on the bubble kind mm-hmm. of thing. Eleven and seven, I'll, I'll say this: eleven and seven will probably get you in the NIT. It's been a while. Yeah. That I'll say that eleven and seven, because you'd be nineteen and twelve at that point, probably gets you in the NIT. Twelve and six requires you to either go seven and three, or maybe you win both against Tennessee, or you win both against Mississippi State. In which case, you could still go four and four against those solo opponents. I don't know what to call them, solo opponents. I'm going to call them solo opponents. Yes. Yeah. Or you go seven and three, and you go five and three against those opponents. Which one of those do you think is more realistic? Given that you do have some, I mean, I guess it's an even distribution, but given that you have some of those big games at home. Say that again. So if if we're going seven and three with A&M, Vandy, Tennessee, Georgia, and Mississippi State for Carolina, and then you either have to go four and four to get to 11 and seven against those other teams, Mm -hmm. or is Carolina looking at, you know, banking on sweeping Tennessee or sweeping Mississippi State or sweeping Georgia? Just in terms of how it shakes out, right. the quality of opponent and where the games are and things like that. Which one of those is a more feasible road to Carolina getting to the win totals they need? Just looking four and four right now, going seven and three and then four and four. Because, um, I mean, you look at your standalones, Florida at home. I've never been impressed with Florida. Um, I, I think that's a winnable game. Um, I mean, Ken Palm has it as a five point game and gives South Carolina a 33% chance to win. So. There's hope there, um, but then you have Missouri at home. Uh, you have Texas A&M, or no, Texas A&M's a, a twofer, but Missouri home, Ole Miss, who hasn't been great, um, Alabama. I mean, you're looking at. I mean, those are four winnable, winnable games, games right, right there. there. Yeah. Um, 
it's definitely feasible. And I would take my chances doing that compared to what, you know, having so, to, having to beat Tennessee at Tennessee or having to beat, you know, Mississippi State at Mississippi State, uh, something along those lines. So it's Florida at, you have it right in front of you, right, the schedule? Yeah. So it's Florida at Tennessee, home for Kentucky, at A&M, at Auburn. At Auburn. So Carolina needs to be, you need to win that Florida game. Yeah. You need to win the A&M game. You can you can lose the Tennessee game because that one's on the road. You right. just have to win one of those, basically. Um, the Auburn one you can put in the L category, and then what's the other one? Kentucky. Yeah, that's so. So Carolina can be two and three in this first five game stretch. It's still feel pretty good, and it not be yeah. kind of over. Which, it's not the end of the world if they right. go two and three in yeah. the first five games, just because how good their opponents are. That's that feels like a pretty good place to be in. And then and then three and two, you steal one of those. You go ahead and get that one win against Tennessee. And then you get them on the flip at home a little bit later in the season. Yeah. Now you're in kind of a, I don't want to say a good position because you're still again always fighting for wins, always fighting for quality. You're in but, a better position than yeah. what you would have been probably. I hadn't as done, we sit here January third or fourth or whatever today yeah, is third, third I guess. Yeah. Um, I hadn't done all the math. I, I looked at this earlier, but I hadn't done all the math until we were sitting here talking about it. And I guess it feels a little a little better than it did when I was just kind of thinking about it abstractly yeah. this morning. Well, I think that you look at the loss to Stetson and. You look at the way they played, and it's like, well, season's over. But there's some opti- there, there's optimism there. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if things break right for you and you beat the teams you're supposed to beat and steal a few like they did last year, then there is an avenue for South Carolina to make the tournament. I am not saying it's going to happen. That is not me sitting here and, and being this weird homer. I'm just saying that there is – an avenue to do it. A lot of things have to go right. They have to figure out a lot of pieces, answer a lot of questions. But there is an avenue for it. And the kinds of games that they're going to have to steal. Um, they're home. Again, they're home, and this speaks to the to the variance and like lack of like high, high end of the SEC. Like yeah. I, I said, Carolina will have the opportunity to have another Virginia-type win. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly true. I mean, the best yeah, team I mean, in the SEC is... Kentucky, Auburn, Auburn. Auburn's 14, and Virginia's currently 31st in Ken Palm. Mm. But Florida's ahead of them, Kentucky's ahead of them, Auburn's ahead of them, Arkansas. Um, yeah, and like you know, we'll, yeah. we'll like we'll see but, with Arkansas, we'll yeah, see with we'll know. see with Florida, we'll see with some of these other teams. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's close. It may not be like exactly that, and right. like, it being on the road. But you know, point is, the games that Carolina's going to have to win, they're going to have to steal. I don't know. Feasible. What, what was the line on the Virginia game? How much was? Carolina I can't dog. remember. It was probably double digit. Double digit dog, yeah. Yeah, and it was like a ten percent chance to win. But you mentioned right off the bat, like a game that would be a quote unquote steal win for Carolina is Florida. That's at home. You know, thirty five percent chance to win. It's a five point spread. It's like that's not that ridiculous yeah, anyway. And they did it last year yeah. at Florida. So now you don't have Chris Silva just like standing under the yeah, basket and dunking. You know, <laughs> who is the Florida defender? He <laughs> just like mistimed his jump. He yeah. just. We, it's like he forgot how to jump right. <laughs> we were talking about moments of the deck uh, before the Stetson game, just about some of the things you can include in South Carolina's just decade. And mm-hmm. I think we got like, we were all sitting around. I was like, what about that Chris Silva dunk last year? And I was like, well, dang it. Like, I forgot about that. Yeah. But this, I mean, it turned the entire season around. So that was... I, I think, I don't remember if you and I talked about this on the podcast or maybe we did it for our 107 stories of the year for 107.5, but that was what set the rest of that great SEC season in motion. You lose that yeah. game. It's like, you don't have the momentum. You don't have the confidence. I mean, like you obviously don't have the win. Like that's yeah. the most important thing. But that was the turning point in the season because they were what five and seven in yeah, non-con they were last five year. Five and seven, and that, and that was the North SEC Green. opener. Yeah, down in Gainesville, and no one thought that was going to happen. And then, no. it, and then all of a sudden, Keyshawn Bryant goes on like an eight-zero run by himself, and then Hassani Gravit plays out of his mind, and 
Yeah, it, it was the weirdest game that I've ever been to. And I don't think it even set in for, I think there were four or five South Carolina media there. I don't even think it set in for them mm-hmm. until, like, driving home from Gainesville the next day. Yeah. But that was a turning point. And yeah. I, I think I think Carolina fans, and I may have even said this, and I apologize for planting this seed so cruelly, but I think Carolina fans thought that the Virginia game was going to be the Florida game of last year for this yeah. season, and it hasn't been the case. Who knows? Maybe the Florida game for this season will be the, the yeah, Florida, and, or the Florida game for this season will be yeah. the Florida game for last season. They but. need something to go right these first five games. Yeah, one hundred percent. So we're going to get on a more regular schedule here. South Carolina, I said they have Florida Tuesday, yes, and then they have Tennessee on Saturday, Saturday and then their Wednesday, Saturday, the rest of the season, with the exception of the second Mississippi State game, which is I think the first game of March. Yes, Tuesday, which is also March on a 3rd. Tuesday. But that being said, we're going to be back every Tuesday and every Thursday. Tuesday will be recap the weekend. Look ahead to the Wednesday game. Thursday will be recap the Wednesday game. Look ahead to the Saturday game. Next week will already be an exception, though. We're going to be back on Monday to preview the Florida game. Obviously, no yes. game to uh, to recap for South Carolina this weekend, but we are going to be on a more regular schedule. So to make sure that y'all don't miss it, um, there you go. But also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Um, leave us all sorts of feedback at Colin Taylor with a Y on Twitter. I'm at Pearson Fowler. You can get us there. You can leave a review on the podcast page. But again, most importantly, just subscribe so you don't miss any of this or another Carolina podcast with Chris and Wes and myself. We're going to be back next week to discuss teams of the decade, which I know all y'all at Gamecock Central have been working very diligently on. Yes. We'll actually probably have to get you in on that because that's a we need as many voices as we can at the table for as this discussion. As we just sit there and yell at each other. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Wes texted me about a couple football-related ones, and it was a good, healthy conversation. It's yeah. been a very good decade, the best decade ever, or the last decade was for South Carolina athletics. So a lot of fun things to reflect on. But anyway, for, for all the good stuff on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, you don't want to miss it. Rate, review, subscribe. Um, and like I said, give us your feedback. This is a living, breathing entity. We are open to suggestions. We're open to change. We thank whoever suggested hard foul for the name of the podcast. I like it, yeah. That's stuck. Um, do we know who suggested that? I'll find it on Twitter and shout okay. it out. We'll give you a shout out, yeah. you know, in the tweet or probably next podcast or something like that. But uh, thank you all so much for listening. For Colin, I'm Pearson. We'll talk to you on Monday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.